Three friends go on a walk together in the woods. What could possibly go wrong? Well, on this occasion, let's delve in together and see. This is The Shit Detective's Horror in the Woods. Hello everyone, it's Inquisitive Turtle here with another episode of The Shit Detectives, and today we are learning of Peyton Lautner and the reasons that two of her friends, Anissa Weir and Morgan Geysers, attacked her in 2014. Over to Hex Deco with the trigger warnings and background. Trigger warnings. This episode will discuss human sacrifice, dabbing, mental health, creepypastas, horror video games, an injury, and a brutal attack on a child. If these topics are going to be hard for you to listen to, then please put your mental health first. We will see you again in a future episode. On to the background. The year is 2014. The internet is being taken by storm. A creepypasta titled Slenderman, The Eight Pages, a first-person survival horror game, was released in June 2012. The aim of the game is to collect a series of post-it notes whilst avoiding the Slenderman who is hunting you. The more post-it notes you collect, the faster Slenderman moves, although you never see him move. Your screen gets a blip of static when he can see you. And when he catches you, it's his featureless face looming over you before the screen fades to black and the symbol Game Over appears on the screen. So, as a player, you never know what happens to your character. Slenderman originally was created as an entry for a Photoshop contest on the Something Awful forums back in 2009. From there, it developed into a fictional entity, complete with its own lore. Slenderman is described as a faceless man. He is tall and thin, often depicted with a white head and hands in a suit with abnormally long arms. As Slenderman grew in popularity, and more and more people got interested in it, and it grew into the first internet urban legend. The game previously mentioned was created, and even since, there have been short films and a full feature-length film based on the fictional character. Many game-focused YouTubers streamed and uploaded themselves playing the games, and as they did so, different variants of the previously described game began to surface. Some were to make Slenderman scarier, some were just downright ridiculous, like the Slender Tubbies, where the purple Teletubby went on a murderous rampage and when that caught you it would let out the loudest and repeated blood-curdling scream. Stories of Slenderman commonly feature the fictional character stalking, abducting or traumatising people. In particular, his victims were children. I'm not going to lie though, that Slender Tubby scream and face haunt my nightmares. Honestly, I'm not surprised. The whole creation of Slenderman was designed to be the thing of nightmares, so Slender Tubby's going to be in there too. <laughs> I think it was back in like 2011, I was a bit obsessed with Slenderman myself. Um, I was obsessed with the creepypastas and in all honesty it was absolute nightmare fuel. Gave me quite a number of nightmares in all honesty. Oh, yeah, 
I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. So the myth began about Slenderman, stating that he could cause amnesia, bouts of coughing and paranoia known as slender sickness, the latter symptom of which is the very nature of the game. It's supposed to put you on edge. Before long, the entity was abbreviated to be just Slender. There have even been reported sightings of Slenderman, though they are most typically at night in the forest. It's widely speculated that the inspiration for Slenderman has roots in popular folklore from the Brothers Grimm and the Pied Piper of Hamelin, a mysterious figure who comes and lures children away to a land where no one knows what fate has befallen them. For some people, however, they saw Slenderman as a guardian angel, finding lost children and making it so they feel no more pain, almost like the lost boys in Neverland. Back to you, Eka. One of the more key parts of the law to this case that surrounds Slenderman is that of his proxies. According to the wiki, a proxy of Slenderman is a mindless entity that is subservient to Slenderman and a force that controls Slenderman. They are supposedly humans with no additional or unnatural properties other than their behaviour. They are thought to live in the Slender Mansion and to be under mind control, acting as the grunts for Slenderman by creating and or destroying evidence and other physical roles. Many proxies don't maintain their personality. Instead, they appear to worship Slenderman, whether this is to force obedience or for his own inflated ego, no one knows. For more on the law that exists around Slenderman, visit our TikTok, where it is the topic of my mini-series, Echoes of the Past. With the origin of the Slenderman complete, let's hear from Turtle to set the scene. Morgan Geyser was born in May 2002. From an early age, she showed signs of psychological difficulties. That's not to say that she was showing signs of psychopathy, but more along the lines of displays that she was not neurotypical. In an interview for the documentary Beware the Slenderman, her mom said that Morgan had told those involved in her care since the crime that she had suffered with hallucinations such as ghosts. One such ghost that Morgan referred to as It, whose description of a smoky and ink-like figure was very similar to Slenderman. They would stand behind her in mirrors and be shifting in corners. Other hallucinations included colours melting down the walls and imaginary friends named Maggie and Sev. I would just like to insert here that imaginary friends... I had imaginary friends, so that doesn't necessarily mean a red flag. If you're a parent and you're listening to this and your kid's got imaginary friends, don't be going, oh my goodness! It, it, some kids have imaginary friends. Yeah, I had an imaginary friend. Further to this, in the documentary covering the attack and the trial, Morgan's mother even mentioned how she had concerns about Morgan at a young age, as she didn't display any signs of empathy when she would watch movies, and she would display odd reactions that wouldn't match what you'd expect to see in that situation. She gave the example of when Morgan first watched Bambi, stating that she didn't seem to understand that Bambi's mother had died, and continued to shout for Bambi to run. Again? Gonna throw it out there? I didn't understand that Bambi's mum had died the first time I watched it. 
neither did I to be fair. Um, to be fair, at the, when I first watched Bambi, I didn't really understand much of it at all. Bambi always bored me because I, I was like, oh yeah, the seasons have changed, I don't want to watch a nature documentary, I want to watch anthropomorphized creatures. Yeah. For me, I just, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I didn't really understand Bambi at all when I was a kid. Don't ask me why, I just didn't. But then saying that, the evil queen from Snow White used to terrify me as a kid as well, so. Put the fox and the hound on, I'd absolutely sob when the fox was left behind, but um, Bambi wasn't bothered by Snow White, loved. I think to some degree, children at a young age don't actually have a concept of death. They don't understand it. You're not born with an understanding of death. It's something you learn as you experience. So when you experience the loss of a loved one or a pet, you're experiencing death in that fashion and then you start to develop a concept of death. Before that, you've got no concept, so it's a hard thing to understand, just for any child. Yep. We learn everything through experiences, and if you've not experienced something to do with that thing, how are you going to understand it as a child? Let's get back to Morgan. So at school, Morgan was much the same. Teachers described her as odd and isolated. She was described as a bit of a loner, barking at kids and chasing them, or turning and running in horror and shrieking about how she was being chased by Snape from Harry Potter. Again, I'm going to insert here. Um, so, again, some of this can be described as pretend play. I know, like, we don't actually know what age she was doing this at. And kids learn through pretend play, and sometimes they could just be pretending random stuff. I know, um, my child used to pretend to be a dragon. Still does, actually, sometimes pretend to be a dragon and he will be growling and stuff like that and flapping his arms. Also, if she was having hallucinations, ch running away and being chased by Snape might just have been her way of processing. Children process through play. So again, if you do see your child doing something like this, it can be normal. It's a collection, it's a, a whole range of things added together, just not, not single out things, just putting that out there. Now let's cover in Anissa Wire. She was born in November 2001. She was similarly isolated, despite her claims that she had many friends and all the boys liked her. Anissa was actually regularly bullied, though it is little wonder that she found kinship in Morgan when they met on the bus at 6th grade. Anissa's 4th grade teacher stated that she would often be found crying because she had no friends. It was through Morgan that Anissa met Peyton, who went by the name Bella, and it's claimed that Peyton and Anissa didn't see eye to eye. In the year leading up to the attack, Morgan's behaviour worsened with the discovery of the creepypasta wiki. 
The concerning behaviour was taken from a level of, hmm, a bit strange, all the way to, my god, get the kids some help. With the occasion of her bringing a rubber mallet for protection, that when asked to go into further detail later, Morgan said she didn't know what else to say. This event ended in her suspension. Another incident is that she had a journal with a drawing and the word safer dead. With all these concerns, the school just let Morgan's parents know advising that creepypasta and similar internet sites should be banned. Advice that many think her parents ignored. Forgetting the vastness of the internet even then. That being said, in a later interview, Morgan's mum said she knew of the creepypasta site and Slenderman, but didn't think Morgan believed that they were real. Now, let us explore the planning and the attack at the time on the account of her middle name, had spent the night at a birthday sleepover with her friends, Morgan and Anissa. The incident occurred on May 31st in Wisconsin. Anissa, along with her friend Morgan, invited Peyton to go and play with them at David's Park, a wooded area nearby. Unbeknownst to Peyton, the girls had something more sinister planned. Anissa and Morgan suggested they play hide-and-seek. They got Peyton to hide first, with Anissa following her to know her hiding spot before Morgan stabbed her 19 times with a 13cm blade, while Anissa pinned her down through the frenzied attack across her torso, legs and arms. Several of these wounds were incredibly serious. One had missed an artery of the heart by a mere millimetre. Another had gone through the diaphragm and cut her liver and stomach. After they had finished, astoundingly, Peyton was still alive, and the girls instructed her to stay still and they would go get help. Peyton stated, I trusted you, and I hate you. Over to you, Turtle. But Anissa and Morgan, they didn't go in search for help. Instead, they left Peyton to die and they started their 200-mile trek to meet Slenderman at his mansion, which has been creatively called Slender Mansion. Supposedly located in the Nicolette National Forest, the weapon in a bag they carried with them. They fully intended to go live there and become Slender's proxies. They truly believed that Slender was real. Fortunately for Peyton, she didn't expect the girls to actually go and get help, so instead of staying put, she dragged herself to a nearby road where a bicyclist later found her and called 911. They asked Peyton who attacked her and she said, my best friends. She was able to leave the hospital seven days later and returned to school the following September. Though she still has her life, I'm sure that she's been impacted in ways that we can scarcely imagine. Now, if you've been following us for a while, you should know by now what we're about to do. You know that we take these kinds of injuries very seriously. And sadly, in the world we live in, there is every possibility that one of us could need to tend to an injury like this. So over to Echo with the do's and don'ts of stab wounds and the apprehension of Anissa and Morgan. Education is key. You never know when you might need it and it could save a life. So here we are discussing what to do 
if you come across someone or someone you know has been stabbed. The very first thing to do is call emergency services and apply pressure. If there is an object in the wound, don't remove it, as this could make the bleeding worse. Keep pressure on the wound until an ambulance arrives and someone tells you that they can take over. If the person looks pale, feels cold and is dizzy, it means that there isn't enough blood flowing through the body. This physical response to an injury is known as shock and it can be life-threatening, just as life-threatening as the actual wound. If you suspect that they have gone into shock and you haven't done so already, call emergency services and apply pressure to the wound to try and stop the bleeding where possible. If you can safely lay them down and lift their feet higher than the rest of their body, this keeps their legs higher than their heart, which aids in increasing the blood flow to their brain and heart. Keep reassuring them and wrap them in coats or a blanket to keep them warm. Try to keep them conscious and talking and gather whatever information you can to hand over to emergency services. Name and next of kin is always helpful. Now, back to the case. Five hours after the attack, Anissa and Morgan were apprehended almost five miles away from the Interstate 94. During their interviews with police, both girls said that the attack was to appease Slender and to let them live with him in his mansion. Morgan was described as having no empathy with a consistently monotonous voice while Anissa showed signs of guilt and remorse, however maintained that the attack was necessary. Following Morgan's arrest, correctional officers witnessed strange behaviours. They saw her regularly talking to herself, pretending to be a cat, and keeping ants as pets. She saw unicorns and would have continual conversations with Slenderman and other fictional characters. For what happened next, I feel we should hand back over to Turtle as typically this is her area of focus. Thanks Echo. Following from this behaviour there were concerns about her mental capacity and so Morgan was moved to Winnebago Mental Health Institute. They later diagnosed her with early onset childhood schizophrenia with a genetic predisposition because her dad is also schizophrenic. We have previously covered schizophrenia, but we're going to delve into that topic again, but more from a causality perspective. According to the NHS website, an exact cause isn't known. However, there have been previous research papers that suggest it lies in a combination with physical, environmental, genetic and psychological factors that result in a person having more potential to develop schizophrenia. In this scenario, a stressful or emotional life event means that it might possibly trigger a psychotic event or episode. I'd like to pause here to remind you of a quote that I said in another one of our episodes, Truth or Fraud, that Abigail Baird, a neuropsychologist with a PhD, stated that being an adolescent and being isolated would have been very impactful as it is one of the key times that we crave companionship going as far as to say that it was one of the worst times to be isolated and I'm just mentioning it here because it links in with a potentially emotional life event. From a psychological point of view, it's very emotional and it's considered a life event to not have people like companionship at 
a base level. I'm now going to go further into each of the potential causal links. Genetically speaking again, according to the NHS website, while schizophrenia does have a tendency to run in families, which we've already established was the case for Morgan as her dad is also diagnosed as schizophrenic. However, it doesn't appear to be that there's one specific gene to be the cause, but rather a combination of genes that makes somebody more susceptible. What that means is that just because these genes may be present, it doesn't mean that you'll develop schizophrenia. In fact, there is evidence from various twin studies, studies that are usually focused on identical twins, that it is actually partially inherited. So for it to be partially inherited, it means that some of the factors regarding the development of schizophrenia are genetic, but some are also environmental, meaning that you have to have the genes, but they also have to be in some dis some way or another activated by some form of environmental trigger. So it's a combination of nature and nurture, in essence. There are also some physical factors to consider. Studies conducted with those affected by schizophrenia have found that there are occasionally some subtle differences in the way that the brain is structured. It's important to mention though, that just like the genes, the presence of these structural differences are merely an indicator and not a cause. There have been instances of schizophrenia, both with and without these structural differences. Another physical factor is the neurotransmitters. If you don't know, neurotransmitters are chemicals that will carry messages between brain cells. It's hypothesized that people who struggle with schizophrenia have different amounts of neurotransmitters in their brain. There are medicines that help lower the amount of certain neurotransmitters within the brain, and it's actually been found that dopamine can help people with schizophrenia. However, as with all medication for mental health, this doesn't mean that it's universal for all people with schizophrenia. What it does suggest, though, is that neurotransmitters do have a part to play in the development of schizophrenia. There has been research which has found of the people who have developed schizophrenia, a lot of them have experienced complications in birth or pregnancy, or I suppose in the instance of pregnancy it was more the mother who experienced the complications. These complications were things like a low birth weight, being born prematurely, and asphyxia during birth. Typically, people who develop schizophrenia have psychological triggers. A big trigger is in fact stress. Stress doesn't do the body any good, however stressful situations such as various A-words, the end of a relationship or bereavement can trigger someone who is already vulnerable to develop it. As in the case of Morgan, she had the genetic predisposition, she was isolated and then she finally gets two friends and they don't see eye to eye. She was probably worried that Peyton and Anissa were going to fall out and Morgan would be on her own again. Combine that with the fear that Slenderman was going to hurt her family and you've got a massive emotional event, the fear of isolation. Anissa, however, was seen to, and found to have difficulties in telling what was real and what was pretend. This is known as a schizotypy, which is a type of delusion which is a type of delusional condition similar to schizophrenia, but without some of the key features of schizophrenia. In one of the interviews, she described how Morgan started panicking and wanting to pull out of performing the act. Anissa described how she just stroked Morgan like a cat, 
and try to comfort her. It is thought that they had a shared psychosis and it stemmed from the belief that Slender was real and that they would have to become proxies to Slenderman or he would bring harm to, their, to those who they loved. A shared psychosis occurs when two or more individuals feed into a false idea or delusion. In this instance, Morgan and Anissa fed into each other's delusions of the existence of Slenderman, and sadly, this instance became violent. The hypothesis is supported by how Morgan reportedly talks fondly about Peyton, like they are still friends. Over to you, Echo. As they interviewed the girls, several things became clear. The first was that this attack had been premeditated. The girls had actually come up with an alternative plan of attack before changing their mind. Originally, the girls were going to invite Peyton over for a sleepover for Morgan's birthday and take her life while making it seem like Peyton had run away. The girls would then proceed to Slenderman's mansion on the pretense of looking for her. Investigators found a farewell message written on Anissa's phone. It read, this is my final wish for those that care. Do not grieve my absence, but remember me for who I was. I love and cherish you all and wouldn't do you harm. Through all of this, they were charged with attempted murder in the first degree, which meant that due to the law in Wisconsin, they would be tried as adults and face up to 65 years in prison. Their lawyers argued that they should be tried as juveniles, the girls had a really strict time in prison. They weren't allowed weekly visits, rather two visits a month, and it could only be their parents, not extended family or siblings. There was a harrowing crime and effects on the families. They both feel responsible for not noticing the warning signs. Now, onto the media coverage. The documentary entitled Beware the Slenderman created by HBO Documentaries, covers the circumstances around the attack and the trial. Over to Turtle. Connections to Slenderman can still be seen throughout today's media, from the Endermen in Minecraft, tall figures who walk around and teleport, all the way to Doctor Who, where three aliens have very similar features or abilities to Slenderman. The quantum-locked weeping angels who can't move when you're looking at them and snatch their victims into thin air. The silents who come in at around six foot are a race who wear a black suit and tie, have long arms, and they control humans via post-hypnotic suggestions, and humans can't remember them or an encounter with them once they look away. The final alien is the second in-person appearance of the great intelligence, seemingly these whisper men are tall, suited and faceless, but allow for the main force to take over the body and become a vessel, similar to the proxies. Which brings us to our thoughts and opinions. So I will always endeavour to see the parent side and try my hardest not to parent shame. Nobody is perfect when it comes to parenthood, we are all on a journey of learning and discovery particularly in cases such as this. That being said, I don't think that you can discuss this case and just not be baffled at why Morgan didn't get seen by, at the very least, a therapist of some description. 
I know that this occurred in America and the house system there leaves much to be desired. But surely knowing that there is a family history of schizophrenia and the stuff that occurred at school, like the writing safer dead and a mallet, you'd be taking her to see a professional. And from what I recall, that's never occurred. And that's not just down to the parents. The school also noticed this behaviour and they just brushed it off. Also, to my interpretation, all of the parents seem to not be taking any accountability, particularly Morgan's parents. It was always somebody else who should have done something. It wasn't her, it was her illness. Now, yes, in fairness, it was her illness. As they describe in Beware the Slender Man, it's also the fact that both girls were let down in a familial sense as well, as a systemic one. If they were properly supported, none of this could, would have occurred. Properly supported individuals with schizophrenia can live regular lives. As for my opinion, I think all three girls were hugely failed. I find it hard to believe that no one noticed. In the documentary, I remember Anissa's father saying that the door to her bedroom was open when she was on the computer and he made it sound as though he kept close tabs on her internet usage. But then, seemed to have no inklings as to what would occur. I feel that the school failed to report what they noticed adequately. There should have been referrals put in place and meetings with the parents to ensure that both girls received psychological help. I just find it very difficult to believe that they didn't notice anything. As for Morgan's parents, her mother has admitted to knowing that she knew there was a chance one of her children could have inherited schizophrenia, and yet she didn't seem to notice anything with Morgan. What I would like to say is that if anyone watching this feels as though they are experiencing problems with their mental health, please, please, please talk to someone about it. If you are a young person, reach out to your parents or a teacher or another trusted adult, but please do seek help. Don't suffer in silence. If you've watched our previous episode, Murdered for the Way She Looked, when we covered schizophrenia and you have been experiencing some of what we have covered in that episode and this episode, please do reach out for help. It's the absolute best possible thing you can do for yourself. Seconded. Reach out, please, and get yourself some support. It's the best thing anyone can do for their mental health if they're struggling. You know, reach out to those around you because those around you can support you. You know, talk about it. Don't hide it. And don't feel like you have to hide it because there is no shame in struggling with your mental health. And that's where this episode comes to a close. We hope to see you next week. This week we are leaving you with Turtle reading out a poem excerpt from Intonight by Melissa Clayson. A collection of poems that tell the story of a woman and her immersion with Slendy. Bye. Falling, diving from the heights, will you drown or will you rise? Moonlight blooms as day grows slight, into darkness, into night.